Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. And I'm here, as always, well, every other week, I guess, with Ross Ferguson, academic advisor at Midwestern Seminary and Pepsi drinker, apparently. Yeah, today, so I don't drink coffee or tea. And I had an early morning meeting. I needed some caffeine, and therefore my options are Coke and Pepsi, essentially. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't have any any beef with uh, your choice of of brand. I, what I'm surprised is that it's not it's not a diet. Y- yeah, Pepsi. You're going yes. with the full the full well, sugared. What you, what you've just done there is dropped me in it with my wife. <laughs> what does that mean? Because I should have had a diet version. Yeah, and. You've basically announced to how many listeners yeah. that I've dishonored that oh uh, focus. So that's a so Miriam is is sort of like she wants you on the diet. Well, so. I uh, I've lived in the states now seven months, gained yeah. twenty four pounds because I went on the American diet. Yeah, um, need to lose that twenty four pounds. Yeah, so the full sugared Pepsi is not gonna. It's help. not gonna help. Yeah, but. I've you know. heard you know I heard a weird thing. So I, I have it's part of like because I don't really do desserts. Uh, but I will do, I do a Coke Zero, so it's zero calories. That's sort of my sweet thing. At the end of the day, I'll have a Coke Zero. It can't be sweet. There is no sugar in it. But it is sweet because it has artificial mm-hmm. sweetener. And this is what I was going to say. There are, there are the experts who will say it's just as bad for you because it's putting some kind of chemicals or something in your body that sugar is actually if better you, for you. If you some want sense. some tasty chemicals, yeah. uh, Iron Brew, bright orange. Okay. Only made in Scotland. Radioactive. Yeah. yeah. Um, how what's it? How's it spelled? Iron Brew, I R N B R U. It's it's Iron literally brew. a fizzy drink, and okay. everyone says, "Hey, what does it taste like?" And I'm like, "It tastes like tasty chemicals. That's what it tastes like." <laughs> Scottish. Yeah. If if you're a non-alcohol drinker, yeah. Um, if you're an alcohol drinker, it's whiskey in Scotland. If you're a non-alcohol drinker, it's Iron Brew. Yeah, gotcha. So it's bright orange. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I've got a beef I want to share. This is a okay. recurring statement. I don't know that we've done this since you've started on the podcast. I mean, I'm sure I've complained about things, but <laughs> we, I, you know, we used to do a recurring segment called Jared's Beefs. And uh, I used to make Ronnie Kurtz laugh a lot with these. And it's been a while. I've got a beef I want to bring. Okay. Here and we go. I'm not going to, this is, this is with a particular airline and I'm oh, not going to name the airline. If you uh, you, uh, follow me on Twitter or even my wife on Twitter, you can easily see which airline I'm talking about. But because this is an institutional podcast, right, it's connected (laughs) to the seminary, I I don't want to name them on the podcast. I don't want to be legally responsible for anything. I don't know what the complications would be. But this particular airline has ruined my life, man. (laughs) (laughs) So let me just say this began years ago because actually a Facebook memory came up yesterday, and I don't know why I didn't learn my lesson. Six years ago yesterday, I was sitting on a taxiway for a number of hours in an airplane without air conditioning, sweating, and everyone is grumpy, and it was this particular airline. And I put in that little update, never fly such and such. So I don't know if I just forgot or what. And I don't often fly them, but sometimes, you know, my preferred airline is Southwest Airlines. I know everyone has their own preference. I've never had any trouble with Southwest that wasn't quickly corrected or uh, or helped by friendly people. Um, and so I fly with them the most. If they can't get me somewhere, I've got to pick another airline. And I do my best not to pick this one particular airline, but sometimes you just can't avoid it. And they're ruining my life. We were coming back from Pennsylvania several months ago, and we were in uh, Philadelphia, and they wanted us to 
reschedule. This is this is what happened. They began making these announcements as I often do, and they didn't say they overbooked it. They said something about weight. If there's too, you know, the, because of the baggage or something, the plane's gonna be overweight. So we, if 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 you know, if, if you're willing to be rebooked or you can change your plans, uh, please see us. Of course, nobody responds. So you know, 20 minutes later, now they're offering money if you'll come do this. Uh, you know, a, a voucher, travel voucher. The number keeps going up. Uh, my wife and I are sitting there thinking, we don't really want to change our plans. We're not really sure that we can change our plans. Um, the number keeps going up and up and up. And eventually it gets to uh, over $1,000 um, for a travel voucher. We'll give you a, a, over a $1,000 travel voucher if you'll change your plans. And Becky was like, just, just go talk to him and see, like, you know. So I, I go up and I'm like, is this per person? That that? And they're like, yeah, it, it is. And they said, what's your name? So I tell them my name. And they're like, actually, you're on the list. Like, you're going to get kicked off the plane. Like, if no one comes up, we just have to start kicking people off. And you're on the list to get kicked off. So you should volunteer so you at least get the money out of the out of the thing because you're going to get kicked off anyway. And I was like, oh, gosh, okay. So gave my wife and I our, our tickets. And they're like, all right, it'll be in your email inbox. You just have to re you know get onto another flight. And they put me on another flight. So we go over to the other gate because the other flight was going to leave pretty soon. Actually, it was like a sooner flight. Go over to the other gate, you know, got on the other flight, rerouted us through another city. So we added a leg to our trip. You know, it was really inconvenient. Nothing in the inbox. So I let a couple of days go by, and this is going to be like like twenty four hundred dollars between the both of us. So eventually, I you know messaged the airline and like they said, well, we'll look into it, and you know, which of course takes them a couple of weeks. And, their their final conclusion was we're not giving you twenty four hundred dollars <laughs> and I said but the your representative said if we did this that we would and they said we're not going to give it to you and so that was like I, I was so livid and I thought is this a manipulation thing that you're promising people money and then you don't deliver like this is ridiculous and then my wife had a had another awful experience with them where they're like communicating different things it's weather no it's we don't have the staff no it's this no it's that it's a mechanical issue. And planes that leave and come back and leave and come back. And then it happened to me again on a, on a as we left, come back and left and come back. Oh, I'm sorry. I said it out loud, didn't I? <laughs> Literally, just like looking at you going, you were doing so well. I'm doing so good. Le- um, legal. I, what I meant was it was an airline that is owned by that an American company. It is similar company. to that. <laughs> it's a domestic airline. That's it's right. an airline in America. <laughs> so that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. I'm really mad with them. And now everyone, this is what's hilarious on Twitter. Uh, everyone's having these experiences with this same airline over the last like but, month or two. And they keep tagging me in. So I, so the, I see it just keeps the beef going. The best tweet I have seen, <laughs> which I don't know if it was your best moment. Okay. But it was the best tweet, hmm. which is like, uh, do you want me to tell my 64,000 followers about this? And I was like... Yeah. Jared, in the great scheme of things, 64,000 followers is not that much. But, I mean, <laughs> that could go viral, right, when you've got that many for a, I, I just love that tweet. I just thought, if they think I'm some guy with, like, <laughs> like it's not going to make any impact, no. I want them want them to know if they care about such I, things. I want, and I tried every avenue, Ross, to avoid the public <laughs> thing. It's not like I went straight to Twitter to start complaining. I tried to work through the system, and the system failed me. <laughs> and what is social media for if not to complain about things? I feel like you went from this is a terrible situation to I know what I'll do. I'll go to Twitter, and I'll say, do you know who I am? And it, <laughs> I mean, you got to do what you got to do. But this it, is a, this it is still a failed, issue. though. 
It's still failed. They haven't done anything. But I'm hoping that it will – this is my payback. It's like I'm not letting this go. So I'm going to keep bringing this up. When Ronnie was on the podcast, yeah. did he chastise you for your grumbling or quote no, scriptures at you or would, just listen He would you? just listen and laugh. Okay. Yeah. I feel no. like I should quote scripture at you. But well, don't I'll do that. Honor. Don't you know who I am, Ross? <laughs> You're going to tell your 64,000 followers. <laughs> hey, uh, let's talk about cultural engagement. How about? Oh, you're doing really well That's what with I'm that. doing on social media. <laughs> It's engaging the culture with my beefs with a particular airline. Culture engagement, pros and cons. I don't have a bullet point list of what we're talking about. But what I will say is when I was a teenager, I remember this becoming a um, a hugely important topic of conversation in evangelicalism, especially related to music. Mm. Um, it had, you know, had to do with other things as well. But it really it was a big deal about like. Is there such thing as a Christian musician? Should there be? Should Christian be an adjective? That sort of thing. To do you apply the word Christian to it? You know, um, cultural artifacts, and it really related around. And I remember the phrase, and maybe people my age will remember the phrase as well. Uh, there's Christian musicians, and then there's musicians who are Christians. And 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 there were you know bands that I would listen to that they would say we're not a Christian band, we're, we're Christians in a band, you know that sort of thing. And a, a huge part of that was the desire to, I guess, create art that contributed to the culture in a different way than uh, the subculture of Christianity. And that was how the, the cultural engagement question was framed in, in my youth. So I almost exclusively think about cultural engagement or let, we need to engage the culture in relation to Music, movies, and the, and that sort of thing. And I know it's a much bigger question than that. You know, politics and um, and then just everyday faithfulness, living your life. Uh, but that's typically how I think about it. What do you think so about when you? There's think about been a few things over the years. So we were involved in a church plant, and and in the early days of the church plant, there was a serious conversation about whether elders' meetings should be done in the pub. Uh, and if they're done in the pub, <laughs> okay. then then the elders are accessible to oh, to the community, right, yeah. to to the culture. Um, I've also seen it. In terms of uh, music, there's been a, a famous lead singer that essentially quit his band uh, because he said, quote, um, he's fed up singing songs in churches. He wants to sing it where the people who are lost in. So he traded his Christian band to singing in pubs and clubs um, because okay. then he can kind of reach people. Uh, but for me, I think about it more in the aspect of cultural norms that are just generally accepted. And the one that sticks in my mind is Halloween. Okay. And again, I think there's going to be some cultural differences yeah, yeah. here. Um, you know, do you do Halloween? Do do you do a version of Halloween, like a light party? Do you not engage with Halloween at all? Do you put that on your kids? Do you not put on the kids? Because ultimately, what this is coming down to is the culture does this. Should Christians? That's kind of the way I see the cultural yeah. engagement thing. Um, how much do we live in the world and not be off the world? Well, if you're in it, it's still going to kind of touch you. You're still going to be involved in some things. But how do you do that when you're not off the world? So for me, it's more world does this. Should we do that as well? That's yeah. kind of the cultural engagement argument discussion that, that I'm used to. Yeah. I mean, so you're saying like in the UK or at least you're you're part of it. Halloween was a no-go. So normative would be that Halloween is not a Christian thing to do. Yeah. Um, and your church uh, family would do one of two things. They would do a light party. So that was their kind of 
half cultural engagement. They'll recognize the day, but they'll do a light party, the kind of opposite of Halloween, oh. or they'll not do anything at all. Yeah. So just as an example, we have raised our kids in that culture. And we have raised them to completely disengage with with Halloween. So they're not involved in it whatsoever. Yeah. We come here and Halloween seems to be just fairly normative. And it, and it seems yeah. to be more, it's just a fun thing for the family to do. Um, it doesn't seem to go quite to the depths that, that we have in the UK. So that's really kind of surprised my wife and I as we've come even to, you know, Christian campus talking to lots of Christian families. Yeah. They're all planning their trick-or-treating or whatever. That is so alien to us because our cultural norm would be that is something we don't engage with. I see. Yeah. And I think even that is somewhat generational because this specific issue, actually, my birthday is on November 1st. And when I was a little kid, we would have my birthday party would be a Halloween party. So we do it on Halloween night and it would be a costume party and we'd go trick or treating and all that sort of thing. And then the um, I mean, I don't know what you, you want to call it. Pejoratively, the satanic panic thing kind of hit, especially the southern U.S., but really it actually hit all of U.S. And um, and and there were related dangers about you know razor blades and apples and uh, and and the occultic connections of Halloween and that sort of thing. And the church I was a part of essentially said we're not doing this anymore. And I almost felt like my birthday got stolen from me <laughs> in some regard. But then I grew up from then not being in a family or attending churches where there was anything done or any recognition. But then a, a generation passes. And in, in Nashville in particular, we begin to see, oh, these Christian families, actually, they're taking their kids trick-or-treating. And so when we had kids, we started taking them trick-or-treating as as well. Um, I would say in, in New England, at least the church I was a part of in New England, it'd be a very similar thing. No, no Halloween. They would not recognize it. And a part of that was because the context we were in was there was a very um, dominant New Agey presence, uh, occultic influences. And so there were legit like Sam Hain festivals and things like that um, on on you know Halloween night. There were if you're you know part of our town, you get an email about going and um, calling the spirit of the fire and you know at the harvest thing or whatever. And so that church decided like we don't want to have anything that even touches that issue. Now of course we also didn't we you know we lived in a rural area there wasn't neighborhoods anyway. So even if we wanted to do that, you'd have to walk for miles to get to the next house. Um, but we didn't do that. But then you come back when we came here to the, to the Midwest and it's a big deal and it's just yeah. sort of a family thing. And of course, some people dress up in, you know, in costumes that we wouldn't want our kids to see, but, but by and large, it almost just feels like a family night. And, you know, and I think that's the question yeah. here is what is actually happening yeah. on that night? Because this is the cultural engagement. What's the pros and cons here? You know, we disengaged from it in the UK. So now do we tell our children Oh, it's just culturally different here. Yeah. You know, it's almost like we're having to backpedal what we've taught our kids. And and so mm. I think, do we shape our decisions based on what, what culturally seems normative? Or do we base our decisions yeah. on what we think scripture says? And, and don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying don't do anything Halloween because here's a verse. But I think this is the big debate as to, um, you know, elders meetings in pubs. There's nothing scripture says against it. At the same time, it might not be a wise thing to do. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the thing. The, the one thing that I think helps a lot is uh, last semester here at uh, Midwestern Seminary, Al Muller, uh, president of the Southern Seminary, came and talked about post-Christendom world. And he actually labeled seven things about cultural engagement. I'm not going to do the whole okay. kind of gambit, but it goes from withdrawal to recovery. And I'm just going to very quickly say a couple yeah. of things. Withdrawal is the total withdrawal from the world. 
And he states that that's against the Great Commission, because if you're completely withdrawn from the world, you can't reach the world for the sake of Christ. And then it's a a level of negotiations where you kind of go, we'll go halfway to the world, (laughs) but we'll keep half of our Christian thing. So that's kind of the Halloween. We'll do a light party in the church. We'll kind of half recognize the evening, but we won't go all the way. And then he talks about entrenchment, where you will say, this is the way we've done things always, and we will never change. Hmm. And then he talks about the last one, which for him was was where we should stay, which is recovery, that the church is constantly preaching the word of God, sharing the gospel, training parents, planting churches, you know, pushing the boundaries back against society and culture. And you can't do that if you don't engage with culture as well. You have to engage on some yeah, level. Yeah. So I think I think this is a really interesting thing to think about is, does your life portray complete withdrawal from the world? Well, therefore, you're not in the world. You can't reach the world. Yeah. Or does your life portray, I've kind of given up trying to live the Christian life in the world. I'll just, I'll, I'll go for the whole thing. I'll be involved in everything. Yeah. But I'll be a Christian at home and I'll go to church. Do you know, it's the, yeah. I think that, this becomes an even more interesting debate when we bring our children into these things because they don't quite grasp the nuance of right. whether this might be wise or not. And they might just see, hey, all the kids at school are dressing up. Why can't I? Um, yeah. Well, the the issue of engagement, I think, is really key here, too, because, you know, obviously, whether you do Halloween or don't, you know, do Halloween, that can be, you know, personal, uh, an issue of discernment, uh, issue of conscience, of course. Is that really even cultural engagement? I guess it could be on some level. It's really just a, you know, question of cultural consumption. Do I mm. am I going to participate in this or am I not? Um, I guess it could be engagement if you're trying to somehow leverage it to some way to reach your neighbors or to bear witness in some way. And and a lot of people, you know, do try to do that or do that. Um, but the issue of engagement, I think, is really the question of, um, is is my participation in in this particular aspect of culture. Is it compromising my ability mm. to reach other people with Christ or to bear witness to the goodness of Jesus and his kingdom? Um, am I leveraging this in some way to bear witness? Or, you know, is, is it a neutral, is it a negative, or yeah. is it a positive? And sometimes the same cultural issue or artifact could be all three, depending on, yeah. I guess, the person or the, or, or, or the situation. Um, but the, the pendulum swing, I think, is... We live in such polarizing times, and the pendulum swing is such an effect that I feel like we have these, you know, rival, uh, you know, voices. The dominant voices are either withdraw totally. We need our own thing, almost. Um, I don't know, if, you know, Benedict Option kind of withdrawal, to use Mueller's uh, label. Or on the other hand, you have almost this sort of, you know, undiscerning or indiscriminate, just total embrace of culture in kind of the progressive or, um, you know, they've created kind of a syncretism between Christianity and the prevailing winds of progressive culture, liberal, you know, theology or um, even liberal politics and that sort of thing. And a lot of us are kind of looking like both sides will tell us it's a sin to be in the middle, so to speak, or to, you know, there's no such thing as a third way or whatever. And like, well, I don't think your way is biblical and I don't think your way is biblical. So, Maybe there are fourth, fifth, and sixth ways. It doesn't have to be, you know. Um, but I guess I would go to one of these pendulum swings if I thought those represented what I see in the scriptures. Yeah. You know. And I think it's the element of being countercultural as well. Like yeah. our aim is not 
to just be countercultural for the sake of it. I'm a Christian, therefore I can't do these things. Yeah. I think being countercultural is saying my life is not geared towards these things. My life is geared to Christ. Mm. And in these things, I should hope to see that. So again, there's been that big social media debate about how much should we use social media? How much should we be involved in it? How much should we comment on it? Yeah. The reality is if you're loving Jesus and loving others, and that is your life is geared towards that, that's going to come out in your engagement in social media. But if you're using social media just to be like in the world, that's what you do. You have a Facebook profile or you have a Twitter account. Then that's where cultural engagement could end up swinging to. Yeah. I mean, I remember actually doing this with a men's Bible study. I said to them, everyone pull out your phone and look at your last 10 posts. What does it say about you? And it's just that simplicity of you're engaging with the culture of the time. But what do they see? What do they hear? Yeah. So it might be the debate. Complaining about an airline problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, the one that won't be named yet has been named. Um, but it's like maybe that's the Halloween thing is, yeah. is there a way that you can engage, but actually show that you are just living in a really different way that is unusual, countercultural, but you're still in the world. People are still seeing it. I'm not going to sign up to elders meetings in pubs. I'm sorry. That's, that's too far for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think we need to kind of throw out the church and, and all these aspects that we love and hold dear, but yeah, maybe there is some thoughts here as to not swing to the both ends. Yeah. But is that compromise? You know, that's the debate here. Are we just simply compromising to, to make us feel a bit more comfortable? I mean, it, it could be, I suppose. I mean, I think there are issues it's not to say that someone on either side wouldn't have shades of truth in it. I mean, I could look to the extreme withdrawal side and say, there are things I think that Christians would say, I'm not, I'm not touching that or I'm not going there. Um, and I think perhaps, you know, even on the far left thing, you can say, I, I do think maybe that this justice issue you're, you're concerned about is a legitimate thing. Now, the way you go about it and the way that you want to bring about addressing it is entirely unbiblical and doesn't have Christ at the center. So it's not about saying that both sides are completely wrong on everything, but it is an issue, I think, of of discernment. There, um, you know, one of the forbidden words I've I've learned now is nuance. You're not <laughs> supposed to be nuanced anymore. No. Nope. Um, but the scriptures are incredibly nuanced on on some of these things, and especially in terms of, um, you know, how you navigate life. We have the clarity of scripture. We have the clarity of of Christ's commandments. We have the clarity of morality and all those things as a, as a um, you know, not just a compass, but an anchor for us. Um, but also we have our conscience and we have, you know, the Holy Spirit who is guiding us, you know, leading us into all truth. And so I think on the level of cultural engagement, you know, a, a, you know some of these things are specific to churches or, or particular even to individual Christians. Not every individual Christian in a particular church is called to the same vocation. They're not called to the same, you know, particular missions, I guess, in your own life. Like, the way that you evangelize may be different than the way that I evangelize. We have the same message and the same great commission, but your neighbors are different than my neighbors. And the the places that you, you, you know, find yourself in terms of your particular missional context are different than mine. So we, we need to have a sense of complexity. Uh, I don't want to use the word gray, but there just needs to be more openness, I think, in terms of um, adaptability and flexibility when it comes to some of these cultural engagement yeah, kind questions. of middle ground without giving up the theology behind right. it. Um, you know, the hard and fast black and white often doesn't work or it's yeah. for certain situations yeah. um, to kind of promote conversation or whatever. Um, but I think for us, it's even more tricky 
being not from the States. It's like, what is the cultural norm here? And actually, oh, this isn't the cultural norm. We're just kind of found a, right. a little sect that we're kind of going down type thing. For us in a new culture, we're having to really kind of think about everything we do and see and where we are. Yeah. Well, we didn't solve everything about cultural engagement. I don't think we solved anything. Well, so we had a conversation. We had a good conversation. We raised some good questions mm-hmm. and probably we wandered into nuance too much. There'll be some Theo bros giving us some negative reviews. But you can outweigh them. You can engage them by giving us some good reviews on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And until next time, dear listener, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.